Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co host, analyst Diana Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, co-host, joined, as always, by my co-host, Diana Laufer. Hi, everyone. And this week, our guest is our colleague on the CX team, Principal Analyst Tony Costa. Hello, Tony. Hello. And we invited you here today to talk with us about your new report that's a, I think, extensive update of an old report called Mapping the Customer Journey. Four Approaches to Customer Journey Mapping, When and How to Use Them. That is a long title. <laughs> I guess that's a subtitle and a title, right? Uh, so, so thank you for joining us, Tony. And, and um, we, um, Diana and I were sort of joking before you came in. We, we noticed you write about customer journey mapping a lot. And um, so tell us, why, why is journey mapping such a popular topic and such a topic you know, that, that I think you're, you're writing about it because you're getting a lot of demand from our, from our readers to write about it a lot and to tell them more about what, what is the, what's behind the popularity of journey mapping? So the key thing about journey mapping is that, you know, if you think about it as an employee in a company, you tend to think about the, the tasks, the job you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And that sort of really informs how you think about the experience you're delivering to a customer. Mm-hmm. But what the customer is experiencing is actually something completely different. And you may be thinking about, you know, I'm answering these calls in a call center or I'm, you know, at the front office or at the branch helping customers, but you're not really seeing what the customer's experiencing in that um, experience. And so what journey mapping does is helps companies step outside of their day-to-day perspective of what they do in their job and look at what they're doing from the experience of the person who's going through it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about it, it's like, you know, having a dinner party. Right. You may be thinking about, you know, what food am I going to serve and people are going to come in and we're going to have appetizers and this is where they're going to sit. That's what you're doing to prepare for that event. But that's not what your guests are experiencing. They may experience they came in and they don't know where to put their coats and they don't know all these other people there. And so when you look at it from their perspective, it just highlights things that are sort of blind spots for you. Mm-hmm. And it really helps you get inside what's what's a good experience for them and identify in some sense, gaps or problems in that experience where you might not even be aware that there are issues with that. Okay. So if you're having a dinner party, you should map the, uh, the guest journey before, before you start to, to prepare and cook. Are there any other uh, <laughs> events or you know, interactions where you'd want to map customer or guest journeys? Well, if, if you're a business, of course, you want to do it for pretty much any experience where your customers do come and, and come to contact with you. Right. Right. If, it's a, if you're a, you know, a bank, you want to look at that branch experience. You want to look at that ATM experience. You want to look at that phone experience and understand what that's like. Right. And, and yeah. so you want to map those types of journeys specific to your company and the types of experiences you have. So there's a lot of um, different interactions mm-hmm. that potentially you could map. I mean, is there one right approach to journey mapping? So when it comes to mapping a customer journey, um, at Forrester, when we write about it, a lot of the times we talk about one specific approach, which is what in the report we're calling the hypothesis first approach. Hmm. And one of the reasons we talk about this approach so much at Forrester is because it's very powerful around aligning different parts of the organization. And if you think about a customer experience professional as a person who has to work with lots of parts of the organization to, to bring them together, to get them on the same page, to understand the experience and solve problems, because by and large, customer experience professionals, they don't own 
the P&L for the business. Right. They don't own the touch points. They don't own these things in the business that get changed. They need to work through other people in the company to do this. So the hypothesis approach is really about bringing those parties together to talk about the experience, to look at it from the customer's perspective, mm -hmm. and identify those things that need to be fixed. And it's in those conversations where they start realizing how what they're doing is impacting the customer, but also if they want to fix anything, how they all have to work together to solve it, because these problems aren't things that can be solved within one little siloed part of the organization. And so that's one of the reasons why Forrester in particular really focuses a lot on it, is because that culture change part, the, the, the human element of getting the people together and, and working through that is actually probably one of those difficult parts mm. of experience development and change. Yeah. How does this hypothesis approach differ from um, some of the other approaches you talk about in the report? So there are four approaches we talk about in the report. The first is the hypothesis approach, which is where you start with a, this cross-functional group of stakeholders. You come together, you map out a customer journey based on sort of the collective knowledge of the people in the room, mm -hmm. right? You have all these stakeholders who have know about bits and pieces of the experience, so you build out that understanding. And then you'll sort of do some diagnosis, and then you sort of form a research plan later on to go out and validate those assumptions. There are other approaches, though. Um, another approach to take, and if you hire a design research firm, a lot of times what they will do is actually say, let's just start with the research. Let's go out and talk to a lot of customers. Mm -hmm. Let's interview them. Let's shadow them. Let's engage them in different activities to understand what that experience is like for them. And then based on that research, we'll put together a set of journey maps based on that. And sometimes that's actually done sort of collaboratively where they'll do research readouts with stakeholders in the business and they'll kind of synthesize it into journey maps together. Mm -hmm. So it can be a little more collaborative. But in general, in, those in that approach, the research first approach, you really want to put an emphasis on the deep customer understanding initially. You know, skip past all the assumptions or theories about what the customer is experiencing. Go directly to them. Understand that in a deep way and then use that as, as the starting point. The third approach that we identified is a co-creation-based approach, which is kind of like a, a big bang event. You're going to bring in a group of customers who have similar behaviors. You're going to map a journey with them collaboratively. And in that sense, you're sort of doing the research, you're doing the validation, you're doing the mapping, and even you know, uh, assessment and improvement of that all in one event. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of logistics. It's kind of a difficult thing to do to pull off. A lot of facilitation skills, some industries like in B2B, it's very hard to bring customers together because the customers tend to be competitors of each other or you have limited access to them or mm -hmm. they're just very difficult to bring in. And so it doesn't work for everybody, but if you can do it, it is a powerful approach. What's the, uh, what's the use case for that approach? Or can you give us an example of how someone used it? Um, yeah, for example, Forrester, we worked with a retirement community and they were interested in what that experience is like. And so they looked at different parts of the so-called life cycle. So, you know, basically getting on board, another person or group was looking at moving in. And they brought together a group of customers who were skinned very similar, and they mapped out that journey. And part of it starts with just identifying their core needs and, and how they think about it and their attitudes towards the, the service. Then there's another portion where they literally kind of go through, walk through your experience, tell me your story. And they sort of map that out. Hmm. Um, there were other bits where they kind of talk about what worked well and what didn't work well, presenting them with some of the different materials they have. And so I said, you know, hey, the, for example, in the awareness stage, we had these brochures. What do you think about these? Was there value there? Was there not value in there? there? How might we make it better? What would be a better way to communicate this information to you? And so you can begin sort of exploring the topic in that way with the customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even though there's going to be more work up front recruiting customers to mm -hmm. come in and do the journey mapping with you, presumably there isn't the same... 
um, effort required for validating with customers later on like there might be with the hypothesis approach where you're starting more internally focused, right? Yeah, with the research first and the co-creation approach, in some sense, the validation is largely done for you. Mm -hmm. You may want to follow it up with some additional research to say, well, you know, we had 8, 10, 12 people in the session for doing co-creation. Let's just sort of look at that. Were these outliers or were these really representative of the whole? So you may have some additional research you do on the back end just to, to confirm that, you know, they really represent a broad base of people or even, you know, in a research standpoint, you might want to go out and say, let's quantify some of these behaviors. You know, at this specific point in the journey, how big of a problem is this for the larger population? Mm -hmm. And you may, so you may augment it with additional research, but in general, you're starting with a pretty firm research foundation. The hypothesis approach, it's a little bit different because you really want to have that conversation and drive the culture change. And so the human element is a bigger element in there. Mm -hmm. So hypothesis, research, co-creation, but the subtitle suggests there's four approaches. Yes, there's a fourth approach, which we've been calling the quickfire approach, mm -hmm. which is kind of a very unique use case, and it's kind of a, a, a derivative of the hypothesis approach. And it's really in the sense that if you're a customer experience professional and you need to prove value very quickly, how do you scale down journey mapping to do a mm. very short, a very focused project where you can demonstrate the techniques and the value of the process? And so you'll do a similar thing. you know. Very tight group to stakeholders, a very defined problem you're going to address. You'll map it. You'll identify some improvement areas, identify what are measurable outcomes you could do based on that, implement some of the solutions, and then measure it on the back end to show the efficacy of what you're doing. And the intent here isn't necessarily to do journey mapping as a large-scale effort, but to really sort of build a business case internally to say, we have this tool. It delivers concrete value. Here's a pilot project we ran to demonstrate it we want to do it in a bigger way in the organization. Yeah, that's great. Do you have a sense um, for the mix of journey mapping work that's happening out there right now and between these four methods? I mean, if you had to sort of mm -hmm. put a rough order magnitude number on the, the you know, percent of journey maps that are hypothesis mm -hmm. versus research versus co-creation versus quickfire, was that the fourth yeah, one? Yeah, the quickfire is the fourth one. So I'd say co-creation is probably the most... Um, infrequently used mm -hmm. approach just because it is very difficult um, yep. it, from a facilitation and organization logistics standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, research and hypothesis, I'd, you know, among a lot of the companies we talk to, among CX professionals in particular, the hypothesis approach is probably the more dominant mm -hmm. one that they choose just because it's sort of in their comfort zone. Right. The research, you almost need to either have an internal research organization that can do sort of ethnographic research or go out and hire a firm to do it for you. Right. Um, I think the quality of that work tends to be fairly high. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so there are definitely benefits to doing it, but you, most companies would need to go outside to get that done. Yeah, and I mean, does, you, you implied that when you, you suggested yeah. it was some an, an agency-driven approach was to do that research first, so that, yeah. that makes sense. Um, do you, I mean, is it is it fair to sort of arrange these four methods on a sort of maturity curve of customer experience? I mean, you, you, know, you start with quick fire just to get the skill down and, and show that it's a valid um, approach, and then you maybe move to hypothesis, and then when you, you realize you, you're going to do all this validation on the back end anyway, you might as well do more of that up front and then move to co-creation when you're comfortable enough bringing customers in and being that transparent, or is that overly simplistic? It's a little simplistic. I mean, there That's might be there might, <laughs> there might we'll be situations. <laughs> there might be situations where an organization may want to do a you know a quick fire approach because they have a, a really hot burning problem that right. they want to try and fix really quickly, and they don't have six nine months a year to do you know a full scale effort. Yeah. But they know, hey, this thing is clearly broken. Let's put in a fix and then work on the longer term solution. 
And so they may do a sort of more of a quick fire type approach to sort of have something versus nothing yeah. in the meantime. So they're not exclusive to different sort of maturity levels of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, you know, if you're trying to introduce it into an organization, you know, a quick fire or hypothesis type approach really helps demonstrate a lot of the value of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to do this sort of research first approach, you got to lay out a lot of cash up yeah. front. And in order to get that investment, there has to be that level of buy-in. So if you don't have that, it becomes fairly difficult to say, we need a few hundred thousand to go off and do this research project. Well, what's the value? There, there, we have no history of doing right, that here. Right. So, you know, a hypothesis approach sometimes can help alleviate that by getting people bought in and saying, yeah, there's a lot of value and I see why we'd want to do the research to begin with. Yeah, great. So regardless of which of this, these four approaches you're taking, mm-hmm. are there certain um, best practices that you should be thinking about when you're doing journey mapping? Absolutely. Um, Joanna, um, one of our analysts here, she wrote a great report called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Journey Mapping. And, you know, journey mapping is just a tool. It's a process. It's a methodology you can go through to understand an experience from the customer's perspective. But it really needs to be embedded in a larger customer experience effort. So all, all that is about, you know, building a business case, having the urgency, finding the right stakeholders, defining sort of the desired business outcomes of mm-hmm. the effort. A lot of times people will go into a journey mapping effort, you know, thinking, hey, we're going to build a journey map. Well, why are you building that journey map? What are you really trying to change on the back end? And how are you going to measure that change? They haven't defined that up front. So there's a lot of prep work beforehand to do that. And then afterwards, after you've mapped that journey, where do you go from there? The, the, the journey of journey mapping doesn't end <laughs> with the journey map. You know, there is, okay, you've mapped this journey, you've found some insights. How do you take those forward? Where's the ideation, the testing, the development, the implementation, the handoff, mm-hmm. the communication to the broader organization? You have to think about sort of the end game plan of where you're going to go after you've mapped that journey before you even begin. Because you're going to map that journey and you're going to be sitting around saying like, okay, where's all the benefit? And you're not going to be able to get it. <laughs> and we actually had one company we talked to. Um, they did a fabulous job mapping the journey. It was a beautiful journey map, but it didn't go anywhere. Because they thought, you know, we're going to map this journey and it's going to be done. And they weren't thinking about those after the facts and, and it just didn't happen. And right. so they were kind of like, well, we have to go back and kind of reboot the whole effort because we missed this part. Yeah. And so in Joanna's report, The Seven Steps, she talks about sort of those bookends of what do you have to do up front and what do you have to do on the back end to make sure that the journey mapping effort is successful and is properly positioned with an overall CX improvement initiative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great... Um great thing to keep in mind, right, that the there are ways to improve or make more relevant your approach to journey mapping, given the problem or given the situation in your company. But also journey mapping exists within this larger context. And if you're not considering that as well, even if you get the right approach from these four and do everything right, um, you will be setting yourself up for disappointment because you haven't done the right things up front and prepared yourself for the work afterwards that gets the real value, harnesses the value from the journey map. Yeah, in some sense, that's the hardest part. Yeah. Because, you know, bringing people together for a day-long workshop, for example, yes, <laughs> it's difficult to get people's time and effort, but you can control that. Right. You can't control budgets. You can't force other people to implement ideas, right? You, you don't own these parts of the organization, and that's the hard part. How do you get the other bits of the organization to take action on it and to take ownership of it? And that's a key part that you need to focus on while you're doing journey map and even before. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, uh, Tony, for joining us. And I, I, I just want to highlight you. You mentioned her once, but you're, you're co-authored on this report with, uh, with Joanna. Is that right? Yes. Great. So uh, and that report, again, is 
mapping the customer journey, four approaches to customer journey mapping, when and how to use them. Thank you, Tony, for coming in, and thank you, listeners, for uh, tuning in to CXCast. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's CXCast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. 